Maybe then you can see me and I can see you Maybe then we'll come together as a people Tired of the pain cause it ain't new Let's come together as a people Even if we don't share the same view Welcome to the Jesus and Everything Foundation podcast. On this show, we look at all problems affecting the world and we discuss how we can solve them using the character of Jesus, unity, and decentralization of resources available to us. The character of Jesus, or as I like to call them, the Jesus character principles, are principles that whether you are a Christian or not, we can all agree on these principles. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For every episode, we discuss a problem topic from our category list. You can find this list on the Foundation's website, jaef.foundation. We ask ourselves and listeners, what is the goal? What is the vision for this problem category? What are the potential solutions? What are the obstacles? What resources do we need? And what resources do we have? But most importantly, do these solutions and resources pass the character test, the nine Jesus character principles? If yes, then we move on to collaboration. What does this look like? This show is a platform to get the ball rolling on as many problems affecting the world as we can. We want to go beyond just talking about problems. So after the show, we collaborate by acting. First, we open the discussion floor to our listeners. Then we decentralize and open source all of our resources from brain power, manpower, utilities to capital. Before every episode, I like to ask our viewers and listeners, do you ever ask yourself, where are we going? Where is this world going? Time keeps on ticking, the day ends, a new dawn arises, and life goes on. But what is our destination? Do we have any global objectives that unite us when it comes to things like food, security, healthcare, education, or standard of living? It's a fair question to ask. If you work for a company or work for yourself, you have a general idea about your company's vision. Goal. So what is our goal, our overarching vision as the current residents of this planet? What role is your company, your city, your country playing in the big picture? And what role are you who's listening to this playing in this big picture?
This is part one of the Utopia series. It's under our foresight category, under the subject of Utopia. You can find the full list of the industries we shall cover under this category on our website, jf.foundation. That is jaef.foundation. In this series, I lay the groundwork for how we shall approach the subject of what the future looks like with the rise of artificial intelligence, machine learning, virtual reality, augmented reality, metaverses, and the like. When talking about advancements in technology and innovation, the default prediction is always optimism and that the unbeaten paths will lead us to the promised land. However, in this series, I'm sounding the alarm because the current trajectory is pointed towards a future bionic utopia. Up to this point, humans, for the most part, have interacted with technology externally. Take smartphones, for example. With the current technology innovation trajectory, it seems inevitable and imminent that the next step of evolution for this human technology interaction and relationship is going to be internal, in vivo. Because of the evident character flaws in the man making the machine and the fact that the machine will always be an extension of the man making it, I urge technology enthusiasts and innovators to think about preserving the human experience because we might not get a do-over. I also explore the concept that prevention is still better than cure. Today, for the most part, government policies, business solutions, and most technology innovations are geared towards cure than prevention. So I'm challenging them to think about solving problems with the mindset of prevention first instead of cure. The objective of this series is to set the stage and open the discussion for those who have some concerns about our future with technology, especially with the new domains such as artificial intelligence, machine learning, virtual reality, and augmented reality. The tandem of social media and smartphones has shown us that the closer or more integrated that man becomes with the machine, the more he loses himself, his innate nature, his instincts, and so on. So what happens next after technology goes from its current external relationship with man to an internal one? In this episode, I talk about the current technology trajectory that points us towards a future of bionic utopia. I look at how the video game industry, virtual reality, augmented reality, and metaverses have become very popular, and how investors are pouring billions of dollars into these industries. And I ask myself this, could this be because all hope is lost and that no one wants to spend any more time in our current reality? Are we creating these technologies as a safe haven, as an escape, as an abstraction from the current reality of this world? I also talk about how it's inevitable for our next step of evolution for this human technology interaction and relationship being internal. I don't have all the answers, but I believe we can put our minds together and get to the bottom of things. So open up your heart and mind, and let's take a ride. future of technology doesn't look that exciting. I know that's a bold statement, but let me explain. I think even with artificial intelligence and machine learning, it's not going to be as satisfying as we think when we get there. Let me explain. 
personally, there are probably not more than 10 things that I'm looking forward to. And I'm only saying this because I'm extrapolating the mess that we're currently living in. You have to understand that technology, artificial intelligence, all of these things, they're just vehicles. The current trajectory shows that we are pointing technology in the wrong direction. Why? I think it's because the people behind the technology are flawed and they haven't made any attempt to solve the underlying issues, most of which are, are our human character. Again, you have to understand this. The machine doesn't build itself. Man builds the machine. So if the man behind the machine is still deeply flawed and biased, and it's inevitable that the machine is just going to be an extension of those biases. Somehow they are going to come through the machine. It's inevitable. So the reason I'm not super excited is I think it's going to be more, it's going to be some, some form of inorganic or should I say bionic utopia? I don't see it being an organic utopia for now. I will explain using some examples in a little bit here. You can tell from the sci-fi movies and series and TV shows in, in what direction people's imagination is pointing. Now, I have a scientific background as well. So I've spent a lot of time with science-minded people. And most of the time, they hang out in a fiction world. So that's where they draw most of their inspiration from. You know, fiction books and movies and novels and TV shows and, and things of that nature. It's sci-fi, you know? So, but the problem becomes the problem comes when the movie directors and the people producing the TV shows and the people writing the book, all you know, the the, the fiction books and and, and and the novels and and whatnot, all this content, if they're only painting these bionic futures and people are just embedded with chips in their brains and and their arms and and their blood and guess what? The engineer at a company like Google, Microsoft, or Facebook, you name it, their innovative tropism is going to point towards that. Monkey see, monkey do. What the monkey does is what the monkey saw. Hmm. It explains a lot because Let's look at a country like the United States, which is, you know, we can agree that it's the center of technology and innovation in so many ways. And you ask yourself, how can they have so many nasty problems?
What that tells me is that the current innovation fabric is not really in touch with the one-on-one -on -one combat that people deal with in the real world. That's why the video game industry has become very popular. Virtual reality and aug augmented reality. And we now have metaverses being painted as the next best thing. And billions of dollars are being poured into these industries. I mean, the name itself, virtual reality, tells you all that you need to know. I think we've gotten to a point where no one wants to spend any more time in the reality because it's a, it's, it's a mess. No one wants to spend any more time in the current reality because it's a mess. So we're now creating these, creating like escapism, you know, like someone comes off of work straight away, virtual reality, headset, video games, and that's it. Rest of the world, I don't care. You know, no one wants to deal with this mess right now. We are running away from it. So we are creating these technologies as a safe heaven, as an obstruction from the current reality of this world. This world isn't a very fun place at the moment. I think we can all agree on that. But for us to think that the cure lies in wearing virtual reality glasses and being whisked away to these imaginary worlds, I think it's, it's a dangerous trajectory. It's a dangerous path that we're on. Now, I'm not against these things. I used to play video games a lot. You know, I don't do quite as much anymore. And I've experienced virtual reality. I mean, I've played paintball. Uh, through virtual reality glasses. I've played a whole bunch of games and I've had a meeting through virtual reality. I've, I've experienced it. It's fun. Nothing against the technology itself, but I'm just saying that my concern is that when you look at the, the venture capital uh, and, and where investors are pouring money, you have a lot of investors that are pouring a lot more money into virtual things than the actual reality of this mess that people have to deal with every day. It's why sports are popular. You know, you vicariously live through someone else. In a sense, you escape to your fantasy. You know, people have fantasy teams and fantasy football and all these things. You're living your childhood you're living your childhood dream through someone else. And now this makes for a really good point. I think that's why when celebrities or athletes speak up, speak out or speak up against things that the fun in you agrees on, or you, you think that they should agree on when they speak out against those things, there's a lot of pushback. It's because you want them to stay fitted to your imagination and fantasy. You're living through them and you expect them to be like you, you know? So that's, that's the dilemma that we're in right now. 
as I say, there's some things that I'm excited about. So things like self-driving cars, you know, that's because I really hate traffic and I think a lot of us do. So if self-driving cars somehow don't cure this problem of traffic, at least you can sit in a car and not have to really control the car and just sit in traffic and be productive in other ways. But I think even truck drivers who have to drive for long hours, I think they're really going to benefit from this. Flying cars, hmm. Flying cars don't really excite me that much because I still love the clean canvas of the sky. I mean, we're still, there's some people who, in some areas that are already, you know, getting uncomfortable with drone activity and things like that. And we still haven't reached the climax or, yeah, of the amount of drones that, you know, where drones are just moving parcels in the sky like every other minute, you know. So once we get to that and then, like, now you get a flying cars, which are, which are definitely going to be bigger physical objects than drones. Yeah, I, I mean, I still love the clean canvas of the sky. But after-earth transportation, that's that's gets me excited. You know, where you can get to anywhere on Earth in under an hour. You have SpaceX, Starship, and Super Heavy, and it's they're going to make it possible that most international long-distance trips would be completed in 30 minutes or less. I think that's awesome. Another thing that gets me excited is internet access around the world, you know, using satellites. I think a lack of internet in so many parts of the world is really holding back a lot of uh, a lot of communities in terms of communication, you know, things like education, just being able to have like online economies. But when it comes to healthcare innovations, I'm still 50-50 on them. You know, I I know the Apple Watch and some others are capable of things like, you know, they remind you when to stand up and walk, when they detect that you have been seated for a really long time. And they are capable of detecting abnormalities in your heart rate. I think this is really good for people with heart conditions and and so forth. But again, if you look at where we've come from up to this point, humans for the most part have been interacting with technology externally. You know, let's take smartphones as an example. But I think it's inevitable and it's imminent that the next step of evolution for this human tech, human technology interaction or relationship has to go from outside the test tube to inside. It's going to go from, it has to go from an external interaction to now the technology coming inside the human. I think a lot of technology innovations are pointing towards that direction, especially in the healthcare environment. And again, you can see why, where that is coming from. It's coming from the innovation tropism that a lot of the the innovators in these companies kind of where they're pointed towards. Then again, it goes back to the environments that they're in. And if you go back to their kind of like their 
the environments that inspire them, the books, the movies, the TV shows, all of these things are sci-fi. And they, this is, they all paint this picture of kind of like cyborgs and, and, and things of that nature. I think it's inevitable. So that's why I said I'm not really excited. I'm not really excited. So let's look at, you know, this tandem of social media and smartphones. Let's let's just look at this. I think this has shown us that the closer or more integrated that man becomes with the machine, the more he loses himself, his innate nature, you know, his instincts and so on, his ability to interact with natural surroundings. There are people who have lost the ability to have a conversation, you know, with a fellow human being without having one hand on their phone. I love to challenge people at the gym that I go to, and I challenge them to work out without music. And somehow flat out told me they just can't do it. It's impossible. In fact, I had one person tell me that if they got to the gym without their headphones, they'll have to go back home. That's how bad this is. Social media, I think, has caused devolution in terms of human interaction and cooperation. And this was a really big key human trait for our ancestors. For our ancestors. And then other traits like creativity have also been affected. Again, it's so easy to find answers. It's faster to go to Google than maybe take five to 10 minutes, or even if it's just two minutes trying to think about the problem. You know, our brains don't have to think as much as they used to. Most people are more in tune today with their smartphone environment than the outside world, again, because of formal fear of missing out. And, you know, missing out on this interesting information they are being bombarded with per minute, per second. But we know that a lot of this social media information that is coming at us, it's it's not true, you know, in the sense of we feel like we're missing out or on something interesting, but, but we're not. Most of the information is vanity satisfaction. It's this drug that you keep taking, expecting to get filled, but it just keeps digging a deeper and bigger vacuum inside of you. So, yeah, so let's talk about some of the things that concern me. Why, why I'm not so ecstatic about the future, you know, albeit these innovations, especially in technology that are happening every day. And this is where I want you to be open-minded and just stick with me. Here are some statements to position your thinking. The first one. Prevention is better than cure. And not only that, prevention is less expensive than cure. But today, I think for the most part, government policies, business solutions, and most technology innovations and innovators are gearing towards cure, curing the disease than preventing it. We're innovating towards curing the thing instead of innovating towards preventing the thing. You know, as I said, most of our interaction with technology today has been external, but 
the future looks like it's going to have to move internally to inside the man, inside the human being. Um, I mentioned that social media has caused devolution in terms of human interaction and cooperation, which is a key human trait for migration for our ancestors. Um, creativity has been lost. Again, so easy to find answers. You don't have to crack your brain as hard or as much. But let's go back to social media, you know, virtual worlds and the smartphone. Again, I, I say that most people are in more, are, are, more in tune with their smartphone environment than the outside world because they fear and missing out this information. But, you know, if you look on social media, you know, a lot of people have sensed it and, and they know for, for a lot of time that a lot of it was vanity and it still is. So it doesn't really feel you. It just keeps digging this, you know, bigger vacuum inside of you. Then again, the other key issue today is data and privacy. We're moving in a data-driven world and, and privacy is becoming a very critical issue. You know, so the other thing that is really concerning is how the big tech companies know so much about us. You know, they track every movement we make and so forth. My argument is this. The closer or more integrated this is my whole concern comes down to this. The closer or more integrated that the man becomes with the machine, the more he's going to continue to lose himself, his nature, his instincts, and so on. And we've experienced this with only interacting with technology. Most of the adverse effects that we're dealing with today have been with man interacting with, with, with technology primarily externally you know, AKA the smartphone, you know, we don't interact with it internally. Now with a lot of gamification of everything, you know, once all these virtual reality, these virtual, these virtual, these, once all these virtual worlds are created and they become mainstream, we're just going to continue down this path of devolution and just losing more of the, the human experience, the innate nature, those instincts that, were really pivotal for us to get to where we are today. We'll call it a wrap for today. In the next episode, I'll use some examples of Bionic Utopia that sound amazing and no-brainers. But I'll also paint another picture, Organic Utopia, which I don't think a lot of companies, innovators, and governments are considering. We'll look at some examples in these industries. Healthcare, food delivery apps, gamifying everything, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, virtual reality, metaverses. We'll also look at anxiety and depression pills. We'll also take a look at immigration reform and also security and world peace. This was Utopia Part 1 and your host for today was Calvin Cavanda. Thanks for listening.